Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abba Yomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast is brought to you here. Uh, it is a audio news magazine. Uh, we come here on a weekly basis. I am your host, Abba Yomi Azikawe. Today uh, is Saturday, December 17th, uh, 2022. Uh, we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in now, once again to yet another edition of uh, the Pan African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Later on in this program, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan African Newswire report with dispatches on the ongoing African National Congress National Elective Conference that's taking place in South Africa, where the ruling party leadership uh, for the next five years will be selected. The World Cup has prompted a rise in sports gambling on the African continent. We'll have details on that as well. The North African state of Tunisia is holding elections today for the formation of a new parliament. And the continent has undergone tumultuous events during the course of 2022, and we'll begin to touch on some of those events over the next few weeks. In the second hour, we look in detail at the White House Africa Summit held this past week in Washington, D.C. And finally, we examine the African National Congress uh, National Elective Conference, the 55th, at NASRAC in detail. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program. Stay tuned. Uh, we'll take our musical interlude uh, in the North African state of Egypt with uh, the music of Um Kalsum. Uh, this one is entitled Heart Attack, and uh, this was recorded live in Cairo, Egypt.
Music of Egypt uh, from Um Kalsum uh, from the composition entitled Hargatat, uh, recorded live in Cairo, Egypt. You're listening to the Pan African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast. Today is Saturday, uh, December the 17th, uh, 2022. We are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. 
Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. And these are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African Newswire. The African National Congress Eastern Cape Provincial Chairperson, uh, Oscar Mabuyani, said what had happened during the Cyril Ramaphosa's speech uh, at the conference was unfortunate and uncalled for. Ramaphosa was tackled by KwaZulu Natal supporters and had to pause before addressing the crowd during his political report on yesterday. Former President Jacob Zuma's entrance to the conference led to a disruption by the KwaZulu-Natal delegates chanting Wenzini Uzuma. Mabuyani, uh, who is in the running for the African National Congress Deputy President, said that his misbehavior uh, caused damage to the African National Congress, adding that the act uh, was a low point for the party. The sort of leadership that is expected from him, even if he is a branch delegate, uh, would be much more better at that apex level. It is not done in the ANC. I think even him, the former president, knows it. He has been in that helm of the apex of leadership responsibility for almost 20 years. And in other news, uh, the Uganda health officials uh, were so sure Argentina would win its World Cup soccer match against Saudi Arabia that he gambled 1800 U.S. dollars advanced to him by authorities as allowances for 243 people who have participated in a polio immunization campaign. Argentina lost, and the official was in trouble. Later, he was chased uh, by an angry crowd, uh, locked uh, himself indoors for days, and now faces consequences that include the possible loss of his job, according to his supervisor. At least five African countries, gamblers and experts said that many see the growing sports betting industry as a source of regular income and a possible path out of poverty. Critics warn that sports betting in Africa is underpinned by widespread poverty, unemployment, and poor or non-existent regulation. Uganda and East African countries, where annual income per capita was $840 in 2020, sports gambler range from students to politicians, night watchmen to civil servants, like the hapless health officials, who now is being asked to refund money he doesn't have. First, he said he had taken a loan and the money had been intercepted, but I knew he was lying and kept asking him to tell me what exactly had happened. He broke down and said, Doctor, I have to tell you the truth. I bet the money on Argentina, said Mark Bomali, uh, the health, top health officer in the district of Zambo. Continent-wide data and sports betting is not readily available, but snapshots uh, from the different countries show its growing popularity. Online gaming platforms have enjoyed recent growth, driven by widely adoption of mobile payments and pandemic era demand for digital entertainment. Much of the betting focuses on soccer games in Europe. A South African government survey from 2017, the most recent on gambling, found that sports betting grew 14% per year from 2008 to 2016, even as the number of South Africans who gamble fell from 57% to a third of the country's adult uh, population. Today, online sports betting makes up 45% 
of the South African gambling market. A starkly different picture to just 10 years ago, where casinos held 80% of market share, said the National Gambling Board. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In other news, in the North African state of Tunisia, uh, people are voting to elect a new parliament uh, today uh, to the backdrop of a soaring cost of living crisis and concerns of democracy backsliding in the North African country, the cradle of the uprisings of more than a decade ago. Opposition parties, including the Salvation Front Coalition that the popular Inada party is part of, are boycotting the polls because they say the vote is part of the President Saeed's effort to consolidate power. The decision to boycott will likely lead to the next legislature being subservient to the president, whom critics accuse of an authoritarian drift. Polling stations are open at 8 a.m., and uh, they closed at 6 p.m. Parliament last met in July of 2021. Saeed then froze the legislature and dismissed his government after years of political deadlock and economic stagnation. He dissolved Parliament in March. Since then, Saeed, who was elected in 2019 and still enjoys the backing of more than half of the electorate, has also curbed the independence of the judiciary and weakened Parliament's powers. And uh, finally, uh, in regard uh, to uh, developments uh, that have been taking place uh, on the African continent uh, during 2022, it indeed has been a tumultuous year uh, from uh, the Federal Republic of Nigeria to the Republic of Zimbabwe. Uh, Elections, uh, coups, disease outbreaks, and extreme weathers are some of the main events that occurred across the African continent in 2022, uh, there was, of course, uh, elections uh, that were held in various countries. Uh, there were uh, at least two coup d'etats that uh, took place uh, in uh, Burkina Faso, uh, and, of course, other uh, developments on the continent. Africa was still, of course, grappling with the COVID-19 pandemic and also the outbreak of the Sudan variant of the Ebola virus disease in Uganda. There were extreme weather events uh, in the Republic of South Africa and in other parts uh, of the African continent. If you want to read these articles uh, in their entirety, just log on to the Pan-African Newswire. And that's going to conclude our program uh, for the Pan-African Newswire segment of our program. We'd like to uh, conclude uh, this segment of the program by reminding our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published thousands upon thousands of articles in various newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access uh, to uh, the 
Pan-African Journal, Worldwide Radio Broadcast for today, uh, Saturday, December 17th, uh, 2022. Just go to the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of the Pan-African Journal for this week. U.S. President Joe Biden is hosting a three-day summit with African leaders. It comes as China is investing heavily in the continent and Russia is involved in regional conflicts. So what does the U.S. hope to achieve and what's in it for African nations? This is Inside Story.
Hello there and a warm welcome to the program. I'm Laura Kyle. U.S. President Joe Biden has invited 49 African heads of state and leaders of the African Union to Washington, D.C. Barack Obama hosted the first such summit eight years ago. But under Donald Trump, Washington shifted focus to domestic rather than foreign policy. In the interim, China has been expanding its influence on the continent. It's invested in development projects and infrastructure and issued loans. Russia, too, has been active on the diplomatic front and is unofficially involved in a number of military conflicts. The Biden administration hopes the summit will rekindle America's relationship with African countries, as Mohamed Jamjoum reports from Johannesburg. When American President Barack Obama hosted African leaders at the first U.S.-Africa summit in 2014, many believed it was a great chance for the United States to strengthen its trade ties with the continent and reaffirm political commitments. But in the end, business opportunities turned mostly into a photo opportunity. At a distribution warehouse in Johannesburg for American-owned company John Deere, which manufactures, among other things, agricultural equipment, team members are more hopeful about the second summit. It's going to allow dialogue around the opportunities, the benefits that are um, currently the, the, the company is currently delivering in, in Africa, um, and also, most importantly, highlight the challenges um, to our African leaders that our people on the ground, our customers, our farmers are currently facing. The big question now, just how much can three days of meetings accomplish? According to the U.S. State Department, South Africa is America's biggest trade partner on the continent with goods worth $21 billion exchanged last year. Economists here are optimistic about the potential of strengthening that relationship during the summit. They say the market here is ready for more trade with the U.S., but they also warn that South Africa will have to tread carefully. That's due mostly to China and to a lesser degree, Russia, at a time of great geopolitical tensions between those countries and the United States. As part of BRICS, a grouping of the major emerging economies of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, the South African government would not want to alienate either Beijing or Moscow as it seeks even warmer ties with Washington. International relations professor Gilbert Kadiagala says during this summit, China will most definitely be the elephant in the room. China has made a lot of inroads in Africa, particularly in infrastructure and uh, engaging with a lot of African countries. China is Africa's largest two-way trading partner. In 2021, that value of trade hit $254 billion. And while U.S. President Joe Biden's administration is concerned about China's growing footprint in Africa, American officials continue to insist African nations should not be forced to pick sides. The United States will not dictate Africa's choices. Neither should anyone else. The right to make these choices belongs to Africans, and Africans alone. A diplomatic tightrope to be sure, but one the U.S. hopes can be navigated successfully. Mohammed Jamjoum, Al Jazeera, Johannesburg. Well, China has been the continent's biggest trading partner for more than a decade. Data from Beijing shows goods worth $254 billion were exchanged with African countries last year. That's almost four times the value of U.S. trade with the continent, which amounted to $65 billion in 2021, according to the U.S. Census Bureau. China is by far the biggest investor in Africa, followed by the U.S., France and Turkey.
Well, let's bring in our guests now. And in London, Onyekachi Wambu, a columnist at The New African Magazine. In Washington, D.C., David Shin, former U.S. ambassador to Ethiopia and Burkina Faso, and a professor at George Washington University. And in Beijing, Ina Tangan, senior fellow at the Taihe Institute and founder of Asia Narratives. Welcome, all of you. David, let's start in Washington, D.C., where that summit is going to be getting underway shortly. What does the U.S. want to achieve from this conference? I think it wants to uh, reassert a, uh, an interest in Africa to uh, in find ways where the United States can collaborate uh, more closely with Africa to try and find ways to increase both foreign direct investment uh, and trade with Africa uh, to do some new things that have not been done a great deal in the past. For example, um, put a, a greater emphasis on the role of the African diaspora or diasporas in the United States. Uh, they are becoming very significant communities, uh, even in domestic politics, with some of their members being elected to various positions in the U.S. government uh, to engage in a uh, discussion on cooperation in space, which is relatively new for the United States, uh, to look at uh, the whole question of uh, climate um, change and, and what the United States can do there. So there's a, a wide variety of, uh, of topics that the U.S. has in mind, and a lot of it will be dictated by the role of the private sector in the United States, which is so critical in the particularly trade and foreign direct investment area. Mm. Uh, on your catcher, the 49 countries attending, each of course will have its own wish list, but broadly speaking, do these topics ring true with the leaders of African nations as well? Is that what they're hoping to get from this summit? I think it's always been clear part of the reason China has made uh, the inroads is that the, the Africans are interested in infrastructure um, development. They're interested in the kind of um, transformational change that uh, took place in China over the last uh, 50, 60 years. And that's really the agenda that most of them are going there to to, to engage with. What they have had um, in, over the last uh, 30, 40 years from, from the U.S. is, you know, generally sort of structural adjustment, um, lectures on human rights and governance, very little investment in infra the kind of infrastructure that they've been asking for. Uh, and then also a lot of focus um since 9-11 um, on, on security and, um, you know, bases and uh, and that uh, and, and the fight against uh, sort of Islamist, um, you know, fundamentalist uh, groups, but not on that kind of development agenda, uh, the type that actually creates the jobs, um, that transforms economies and actually creates the conditions where young people are not being... Um, seduced by some of um, these radical forces. So mm. that's, I think, what, what the Africans want to hear. And they haven't been hearing that very much um, from uh, the U.S., I think, over the last, uh, you know, uh, 30, 40 years. And it's been very much a, um, a and it's a mood music that they've been hearing from China. Mm. So, David, do you think that's what President Biden is aware of this change of tone that is needed at this summit? 
Well, in terms of, of American investment in Africa, it's true that the nature of the investment is different than what, for example, China offers, which is primarily loans, which have to be paid back for infrastructure projects. And the United States, by and large, is out of the loan business. Uh, it, its assistance is primarily in the form of grants. Uh, in the last year alone, and that is 2022, the United States offered $11 billion in humanitarian aid to Africa. It's an astounding sum. Uh, and all of that is grant aid, none of it's loan money. Uh, in terms of foreign direct investment, the United States has flipped in recent years. Uh, this is a role for the private sector to play. I think there will be a major push to try to increase the amount of foreign direct investment in Africa. And nevertheless, total uh, American uh, direct investment stock in Africa, going back over the years, is just about the same as China's uh, foreign uh, direct investment stock in Africa. In recent years, China has provided more uh, flow to Africa than has the United States. But I, I think the main thing is, is that the United States is looking at this as a U.S.-Africa connection, not what China is doing in Africa and trying to combat it. That's not the purpose of this summit. Mm. Uh, I know, as David says, the U.S. is keen to stress that this summit is not about competing with China in Africa. But, of course, China, Beijing will nonetheless be watching very closely to see what comes out of it. Well, I, I think uh, David is uh, making, uh, is, is putting his best foot forward. But, hey, he didn't answer your question, which is, does uh, Biden uh, understand that he has to switch tone? I mean, he's, he's had the South American, uh, the Summit of Americas, that, that, that did not go well. It was a bust, bust. He had the same thing with ASEAN, that he didn't even bother to meet with the heads of state who had traveled to Washington. Uh, hopefully this will be handled better. Uh, 49, uh, you know, uh, countries are, are coming. Uh, compare that with 52 countries who are members of the Belt and Road Initiative in Africa. So, I mean, there's a there's a lot of work here. I mean, the way David described it early on was as if Africa had somewhat just come to the attention of the U.S. Africa has been there for a long period of time. Uh, its needs are very well known. I'm surprised that uh, you know it's food, energy, debt relief, uh, health issues. How does Africa develop and, you know, how do you get the infrastructure to allow, you know, these countries to do that? It's fine to say, uh, oh, the private sector will step in. The private sector is interested in, in making dollars. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're not going to build bridges and long-term projects. They're interested in shorter-term commercial opportunities. So Africa is looking for one set of goals, and right now the U.S. doesn't really have an answer for that. Nor does I, nor do I think that uh, Biden ha has the right tone with Africa. And the, the, by that I mean just look recently, uh, well, not recently, a couple months ago, uh, when Blinken was in South Africa and saying, I, I don't want you to have to choose. Well, two days earlier, Linda Grenfell from the, uh, the U UN, uh, ambassador, U.S. ambassador to the U.N. had been in the country saying, we want you to choose. Choose us over China. Uh, and um, Blinken was roundly dressed down in a very humiliated manner by, uh, you know, uh, the uh, minister of uh, South Africa. So, I mean, you can pretend that these games aren't being played, but in the end, 
Uh, we all know that uh, China is the elephant in the room and that the U.S. is trying to contain, uh, trying to contain China and Africa, and that's the main thrust okay. of this particular uh, event this year. David, I'll give you a chance to respond. I must also just point out that, of course, this summit is the first after the first one that was ever held eight years ago, and that is a dangerously long time, isn't it, for the U.S. to have taken its eye off the ball, as the U.S. put it itself, of Africa. And during that time, there have been many other countries who have been stepping in all too quickly to fill the gap that the U.S. has left. I think that's a fair criticism. Uh, it, we shouldn't go eight years before having one of these uh, summits or one of these gatherings. Uh, it's important to keep in mind that the, the American-African uh, uh, Leaders Summit is, is a very different animal than, for example, China's uh, Forum on China-Africa Cooperation, which meets every three years. Uh, it's not intended to do the same thing. In fact, our systems of government are so different that it couldn't possibly do the same thing. And as a result of whatever the United States does is going to be far more dependent on the private sector. Uh, what the U.S. does is also basically grant-based, not loan-based. Uh, so if you look at, uh, at African debt today, almost none of that is due to, to uh, American loans. It's other countries that, that are involved in the debt issue. The United States is trying to do what it can to alleviate the debt through the international financial institutions. Uh, but the U.S. Is, is basically involved in grant programs. That's why I emphasize $11 billion just this year for humanitarian assistance. No other country in the world even approaches that kind of aid. Okay. I know. I will come back to you for a response in just a moment. I'm aware that we have not heard from Onyekache for a while. I want to get an idea from you, Onyekache, whether many African countries do feel that they have to choose between China and the U.S.? Well, I think that is there, and uh, there's no doubt that there's, uh, you know, in the context of Ukraine, there's been extraordinary pressure to mm. choose, not just with uh, China, but also with Russia and others. And, um, and you know, that's fair enough. Each, each uh, country has its own interests and the ways that it, um, has to, you know, to achieve those interests ends. Um, so the U.S. has its uh, positions on these issues, but the Africans also uh, have their own, and they don't necessarily share, share all the sort of interpretation of what's going on in that international realm. Um, I did want to just pick up on some other points that were were made. I think, you know, there, is, there are opportunities for the U.S. Um, um, to get this right. Um, the, for me, the biggest opportunity was something that was alluded to earlier, which is that increasingly there's now a very dynamic uh, African diaspora, um, a new African diaspora uh, in, in the U.S. Um, traditionally, a lot of um, the uh, policies from the um, you know, sort of was uh, factored through the prism of the old African diaspora, the the, the historic uh, diaspora. So now there's a, a new sort of complexity with this new diaspora who have um, connections on the ground, who are uh, better able to 
argue for the things that might work. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Um, added with the old historic of diaspora, I think this could be a, a game changer. It has, it is a factor that the Chinese do not have. And, you know, over the last 20, 30 years, I've been astonished. Uh, part of my day job is to work with an organization called the Ford that mobilizes the diaspora for, for development. And I've been astonished at how little that has been um, amplified or harnessed for uh, real productive outcomes. Um, so the fact that it's been mentioned this round, I think, is, is, is good. It could be a, a game changer. But fundamentally, to go back to your issue about choices, um, I just think that we are in a very different place globally, um, and all of us have to work uh, strike a new bargain with each other. I know, is China limited in what it can offer Africa? Limited to funding infrastructure projects, providing money, providing you know, infrastructure and trade routes, opening up new trade routes. Is, is that the extent of its uh, offering to the African continent? No, not at all. I mean, you're seeing in North Africa and also in the Middle East, uh, China is trying to uh, develop this, this Belt and Road Initiative goes beyond simply uh, establishing routes uh, for, um, you know, two-way trade. What it really does is tries to take uh, a lot of the elements that were pro profitable in the past in China due to a labor dividend and uh, push them further out, uh, whether it's in Central or Africa, South America, uh, China has an immense market, immense needs, and uh, obviously as its economy climbs up into, you know, higher into tertiary uh, territory, uh, it's not going to have the same advantages as it did when it started out 40 years ago. But I just wanted a quick retort to um, uh, David's uh, point. And as, this year, China forgave um, a bunch of no-interest loans because these countries in Africa would not be able to pay them back. And that was literally double, um, over $22 billion worth of, of loans and things like this. So this idea that uh, the U.S. is standing tall and taking care of Africa, Africa, well, if that had been the case, uh, why hasn't it worked? Um, you know, there's Dambisa uh, Moya, um, many years ago, wrote a book called Dead Aid, and it basically had a rough correlation that the amount of money that is given to African countries doesn't necessarily become more independent or to grow their GDPs higher. So, you know, at this juncture, China is not, Beijing is not asking anybody to choose, and this goes back to your question about what this, this China has to offer. China is trying to be inclusive. They believe that uh, trade is necessary that making nations stronger, especially those that it is involved with uh, economically, keep creating stability, creating larger middle classes, larger markets, is a rising tide that floats all ships. So that, that's the approach that they have. This is uh, what Xi Jinping is always talking about and what he's often vilified for, this idea that there should be a shared future for mankind. Mm. Uh, David, one of the problems with the grants that... Uh, you talk about the U.S. offering is it does come with they do come with conditions, don't they? They come with conditions of human certain levels of human rights, certain levels of democracy or governance. And this is often seen as quite patronizing for a lot of African nations who would rather not have those conditions imposed on them. Do you think 
the Biden administration recognizes that and is willing to move away from that terms of engagement? Well, first, it's important to understand that U.S. humanitarian aid does not come with conditions. Uh, it goes to all countries on the continent that are in need of it. Um, we had huge amounts of aid going into Sudan, for example, at a time that we had sanctions on Sudan. Uh, so that's a huge exception. It is true that there is some conditionality involved with uh, development assistance, and the United States has fairly significant development aid going into Africa also. Uh, but we, we often hear about, well, China has no conditionality uh, attached to its aid. It's true it does not have conditionality attached to human rights issues or Western-style democratization. But if you look at the economic links, uh, ties to Chinese aid, there is conditionality. You get a Chinese loan, you must have hire a Chinese company for the uh, purpose of the loan, for the infrastructure project and use predominantly Chinese materials. So there, there's, there's a lot of um, sort of looking aside and making this comparison on conditionality. Uh, I, I would also add that on, on the trade side, it's quite true that China has significantly more trade with Africa than the United States. It passed the United States in 2009 as a leading trade partner. But most of that is Chinese exports going to Africa leaving a trade deficit for Africa. U.S. trade is considerably smaller, but it is it has a trade deficit with Africa. So Africa is the, the primary beneficiary in terms of balance of trade. Mm. Okay. Uh, Anya Katri, I think we've got time for one more uh, point, which I will give to you. What does Africa have to offer? Why is it of such interest to global players? Well, by the end of the century, uh, if, if we maintain the current trajectory, Africa will, will have one in uh, four people, if not half the population of the world. So it's going to be uh, a site of uh, interest for markets. For it's, uh, going to, it's uh, what happens in Africa will impact Europe and everywhere else. If it goes wrong, it, it can it could go very badly wrong for everybody else. If it goes right, it would be a, a huge market for everybody else as well. So Africa is important. And as I say, I think the key thing is for us, you know, we've talked about what's in the interests of um, uh, the Chinese, what's in the interests of the Americans. I think um, we need to foreground what's in the interests of Africans. Um, and um, Africa has had a, a terrible hand over the last 400 years, and that needs to be really replayed. And, you know, what my colleague in Washington was talking about, um, you know, the fact that the Americans provide grants. Yes, we understand that, but um, we also understand that um, some of the international lending agencies that are controlled by America also demand, you know, like the IMF and the World Bank, demand other kinds of conditionalities which um, then benefit uh, American private companies. And so all of this is part of what we need to look at. Okay. And all why, right. I'm sure it will be looked at in, in, in the next three days as well. Unfortunately, we have run out of time, and I do have to finish our discussion there. But thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Onye Kache Wambu, David Shin, and Ina Tangan. 
And thank you too for watching. You can see the program again anytime by visiting our website. That's aljazeera.com. And for further discussion, do go to our Facebook page. That's facebook.com forward slash AJ Inside Story. You can also join the conversation on Twitter. Our handle is at AJ Inside Story. From me, Laura Kyle, and the whole team here, it's bye for now. Welcome back. And uh, that was a discussion on uh, what uh, the United States wants to accomplish um, through the uh, White House Africa Summit, uh, the first of such meetings uh, in the last uh, eight years. Uh, This next segment uh, also deals uh, with uh, U.S.-Africa relations. Uh, Let's listen in. Hi, I'm Steve Clemens, and I have a question. Can President Biden convince African leaders that America is a better partner than China? Let's get to the bottom line. This week, the White House hosts leaders from 49 African countries to try and convince them that their continent is a real priority for America. It's going to be a hard sell, since many Africans feel that Washington has treated them with a lot of benign neglect, more of a problem than an opportunity a place that's full of precious minerals that we want, like lithium and cobalt, which America needs for its electric cars, but also a place loaded with security concerns and humanitarian crises and corruption. Meanwhile, Russia's kind of zoomed to the top as Africa's number one weapons dealer, and China's trade with African countries has reached a record $261 billion last year. That's about five times more than the U.S. An African youth survey by Ichikovitz Family Foundation found that 77% of youth across the continent identified China as the most important nation for Africa's future, not the United States. Plus, China deals with whatever government is in place, no questions asked, while the U.S. cherry-picks its allies and offers lectures about democracy. So can the U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit here in Washington, D.C. turn things around? And what can America offer that Africa really wants? Today we're talking with Arikana Chihombori Kwao, the former ambassador of the African Union to the United States. She's also the founder of the Africa Diaspora Development Initiative, which aims to link Africans abroad back to the continent. Ambassador, it's such a pleasure to talk with you today. This big summit is going on right now in Washington, D.C. You're in Zimbabwe. I guess I want to start by asking you, what do the leaders of Africa and President Biden have to get right after this week that you think needs is essential. Thank you for having me. Uh, This is a very important summit. It's a conversation between the continent and the United States, a a conversation that is desperately needed, particularly at this time in our history and in our lives. The United States, let me start by saying, it it still remains the most preferred trading partner uh, for the African nations. However, like I used to tell the State Department and any engagements that we've had with the United States, I felt during my tenure that the United States was slowly um, losing ground and they were risking losing their position as Africa's preferred trading partner. So this is a very important meeting that I hope that if the United States, like I used to tell uh, my colleagues, I felt that the United States, if this was a basketball game, the United States needed to call for timeout. But U.S. needed to realize that this is a new game and it required new rules of engagement. Therefore, a need for the United States to re-strategize. 
I'm hoping that for a change, this meeting, the United States can begin to realize it's no longer business as usual. It's no longer a case of the United States saying, we make policy and we tell the Africans. That has got to change. It is a recipe for disaster. It is a recipe for the United States seeing itself losing its place as Africa's preferred trading partner. This, that's what makes this meeting very important. And I'm hoping that the U.S. can call for timeout and understand that engaging Africa at this time, it is a new game that is calling for new rules of engagement. And therefore, it is time to re-strategize and treat the Africans fairly, treat the Africans respectfully, and treat the Africans as equal partners. You know, Ambassador, I think one of the things that I'm uh, trying to be sensitive to is that we often over in the United States, as you know, and you were the ambassador of the African Union, tend to talk about a continent as opposed to individual countries and nations, of which there are 54, there are 49 uh, heads of state here in Washington this week. And are we making a mistake? Are we, are we, is our ignorance on our side, from your impression of our ignorance, you know, amplified by us talking about Africa so much as, as opposed to talking about Rwanda, Zimbabwe, Ghana? Should we be, are, you know, is our illiteracy, illiteracy in this level so obvious that, that it's, a, it's a real problem? And do these kinds of summits that bring everyone together do a disservice to that kind of getting to know each country more distinctly? I think for the United States, and I'll repeat it, and I used to repeat it uh, all the time during my tenure, what really is behind the failure of effective engagement with Africa is the disrespect of the Africans. Huh. That's where the problem begins. If we cannot accept, if the United States cannot accept Africans as equal partners, if the United States, for example, let's look at this particular uh, uh, meeting, this particular summit. There was no defined agenda. There has never been defined agendas whenever they meet with African countries as individual countries. It's always the United States setting the agenda, the United States setting the policies, and the United States telling the Africans about the policies. Mm. That is no way to have any meaningful engagement. If you take, for example, the focus meeting that was held between China and the African heads of state, way in advance, the issues were clearly defined. The agenda was going to focus on trade. It was going to focus on aid. It was going to focus on investment. The African heads of states were engaged in the discussion, in the planning. The outcomes were clearly defined with a way forward in terms of follow-up. It was a fruitful meeting that addressed the issues that needed to be addressed between not only African countries individually with China, but also Africans collectively with China. There is no published agenda. There, is, there are no issues that have been presented to the African heads of state. Africans have, been, have not been asked to, to engage in terms of creating the agenda and making sure that when the African heads of state come to Washington, the outcomes, the issues to be discussed, are going to be meaningful uh, outcomes, outcomes with follow-up, and deliverables that are going to be beneficial to both. It remains a one-sided conversation 
with the United States telling the Africans the agendas and the policies, the Africans are not on the table to discuss issues pertaining to us, wherein lies the problem. Mm. And the reason that continues to be the case, what underscores that is the disrespect for Africans. I repeated it. I, I complained about it repeatedly. It is a serious problem. The United States must understand that Africans are not going to take it anymore. If you don't treat the Africans fairly, the United States is going to see itself slowly losing ground to China, to Russia, to all other nations. Because without respecting the Africans, without treating the Africans as equal, without understanding that exploitation and abuse of Africa simply cannot continue, this, this meeting, this summit, is going to be yet another gathering with no outcomes, no deliverables until the next summit. I'm sorry, but the disrespect of the Africans is at the bottom of it all. I, I... Agenda for this meeting should have been set out in advance. Africans should have been involved. Without the involvement of the Africans in these discussions, this is a useless I'm sorry, but that is the fact. No, I, I am very grateful for your candor. And it sounds to me, I mean, I think there was a lot of criticism of the last summit like this under President Obama that there was like no follow through. And, you know, it's one of the big questions I'm asking is how do you make a big bang summit where everyone comes over? It's like checking off the box and say, OK, we've done Africa. Now we can move on to other things. How do we how do you make that something that's a more sustainable uh, and a more continuous engagement of the United States with Africa? And what I'm hearing from you is, frankly, a lot of disappointment and, um, uh, you know, a lot of pessimism about what may come out of this summit. Well, the, the point of the matter is already you know nothing is going to come out of it because it is a one-sided conversation. Right. Where is the agenda? The agenda should have been published way in advance. The African leaders should have been given opportunity to also take their position so they can come up with an African position that can then be discussed mm. alongside the American position. So the fact that it is a one-sided conversation that is yet going to be another useless meeting with no outcomes. But again, I'm going to keep emphasizing the reason this is happening is because there is a disrespect for the Africans. There is a general feeling that we don't need to hear from the Africans. Their opinions do not matter. That wherein lies the problem. Hmm. Why were the Africans not consulted? Why were the Africans not part of an agenda? Why was there not even an agenda like what happened during the focus meeting with China. Those are some basic issues. No head of state. President Biden would not pick up and go to meet with any other leader in the world without an agenda. That simply doesn't happen. Right. So what makes the U.S. think that they can engage African leaders without an agenda? Come to Washington, let me tell you what I want to do for you. Come to Washington, let me tell you what you need to do in your country. That game is, is an old game. Right. It's not going to work anymore. To be honest with you, if I'm to speak the truth, I hope a lot of heads of states don't talk. Because it is an insult. It is an abuse of the African leaders. Mm. It's a disrespect of the African leaders. Where is the agenda? Please respect the African leaders. Do unto them what you would want done unto you. So it's really a simple act. Let me ask you a question. You mentioned China and how China approaches this. I'm interested in what China gets so right 
And, but is there a blind spot there? Are there problems in the China-Africa relationship from your perspective? Let me also, uh, let me just uh, hit the nail in the head and deal with, 10, 000, with the 10,000-pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. Racism as well hmm. plays a very important part. The disrespect of the Africans also goes back to a lot of the people who work in the U.S. government, not all of them, but there's a significant of them who automatically assume that Africans do not know what they're doing. Africans need help. Africans need to be told what to do. And racism is also at the bottom of it all. We need to address the individuals who are going to be visiting Africa, engaging Africa. They must understand that Africans are equal to them. Mm. But when one goes to Africa with a sense of superiority, we realize the problem because you are not going to engage those leaders who are going to come to the table as equals. You go in feeling superior, you come back feeling superior. That is not an issue with the Chinese. The Chinese are coming in. The Chinese, yes, if you don't negotiate with them and uh, they win the game, then that's your fault. But they don't come in feeling superior. They understand that Africa has something they need. So they will come to the Africa. They will come and make sure that they let the Africans know that you matter to us, that our relationship with you does matter, that you don't get that feeling with the United States. You get the feeling that there is this sense of superiority, that you Africans, you ought to be glad that we are engaging you. You ought to be glad that we are inviting you to come to Washington. That sense of superiority, it has to change. Whether it, it calls for the United States to retrain their people as they engage Africa, but it is that uh, which really goes to the bottom of why the engagements are not going to be as effective. They must take a page out of what Africa is doing. Let me say this. Chinese people didn't used to be that way, but they quickly changed their strategy. Mm. When they realized that the game they were playing was not going to work in Africa, they changed their strategy. And that's why, like I said, I said it during my tenure. I'll continue to say it again. If this was a basketball game, the United States need to call for timeout. This is a new game, and it requires new rules of engagement. The United States must, first and foremost, make sure that racism is out of the picture. Africans are just as smart as anybody else. Africans are equal. And until we engage as equals, all these meetings, all these conversations are always going to be useless. And it goes back to the individuals who are going to be at the table with the Africans. So the U.S. also needs to address the issue of racism and make sure that the people engaging Africa, their minds are clear and they accept that Africans are equal. Tell us about pan-Africanism. Tell us about what Africa, the states in Africa, are doing to trade, to connect, to move their agenda forward proactively no matter what the rest of the world is thinking about it. Absolutely. I have to say, uh, if you were to go back to 1963, when our Pan-African fathers came together in the hopes of creating an Africa that spoke with one voice, an Africa that had one military, an Africa that had one central bank, one monetary fund, uh, one, one, uh, one uh, uh, stock exchange, and an, an, an Africa with one customs union. We failed at that over the years. But finally, uh, two years ago, uh, they approved the AFCFTA, the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which is uh, a, a policy that saw Africa coming together 
in one particular area that we are now speaking with one voice when it comes to trade. Yes, its implementation is a monster. Yes, its implementation is work in progress. But you can say of the issues that our Pan-African fathers met to discuss in 1963, finally, over 50 years later, we are able to accomplish the first one, which is being an Africa that's going to the world as one customs union. The spirit of Pan-Africanism, it has taken us a long time to really begin to come together to dismantle the Berlin Conference, which, of course, for those who think, oh, Berlin Conference is a thing of the past, of the past. think again. As long as we have a country called Togo, as long as we have a country called Congo Brazzaville, Iswatini, Malawi, those small countries, even Nigeria or the big ones, Kenya, uh, Egypt, Morocco, they cannot survive on their own. As long as we're talking about the little bitty individual African countries, we are never going to realize the dream of a united Africa that speaks with one voice. And until we dismantle some of those borders, until we begin to wake ourselves up as a people, until we begin to realize that the, the colonizers and the rule of divide and conquer left us feeling inferior, supremacy, white supremacy was introduced from the very onset when the colonizers came to Africa. We were taught to believe that everything African was bad, everything European was better. And we still continue to suffer from that mentality. So yes, while we demand that the West and those who don't look like us Africans treat us equally, realize that we are human beings just like they are, we too as Africans, we have a lot of work to do on a personal level where we must also believe, truly believe, that we are equal uh, to everybody else on, on earth and that we are capable. That also is a disease that we need to realize as Africans, let's wake up and realize that white people are not superior to us, Chinese are not superior to us, we are just as good as anybody else. That is a serious challenge because we still have people, even when you look at uh, issues that we could stand up as a people and push back, you see ministers from the Western world uh, going to, uh, to Africa, and they basically can, I've seen them say some of the most ridiculous things to the Africans, and right. instead of the Africans pushing back and saying, hey, hold it, this is not going to fly, instead the Africans are afraid, just inherently fear of the white person without any, for no good reason whatsoever, except that we have been programmed to feel inferior. So on an individual basis, we continue to speak the gospel of truth. We continue to shed the light as to the brainwashing that, is, that the African has been put through, wherein lies the problem. When you look at what is being done at the World Bank, for example, the Britain Wood institutions, the, the frivolous loans, countries that have never defaulted on their, on their loan repayments, and right. yet they are still given large interest rates. Why? Countries like the United States that don't need any help, right. they get in loans at zero interest rates. You look at the issue. I'm glad President Biden, I hear he's going to be talking about having the AU as the 51st member of the G20. Well, let's also take it to the next level. Let's go to the United Nations. Let's have Africa, 1.4 right. billion people. They need to come to the table. Let African Union be the sixth member of the five-member UN Security Council. You can't just totally disregard 1.4 billion people because you've gotten away with it for centuries. Well, guess what? Game is over. Africans are waking up. Africans are beginning to realize 
and understand the games that have been pl- played. Unfortunately, we don't have that critical mass of people who are continuously going to speak truth to power. Right. The good thing with the, uh, the story of Africa is ours, we are coming from a position of righteousness, right. a position of truth, a position of fact. Right. Those are concepts that don't change. Let's continue to give the world an overdose of our truth, but at the same time, while we are doing so and demanding a world that is fair, that is just and free of right. racism, bigotry and hate, we must also work on our own development and our own awakening as a people. Talk to me a little bit about how Africa can take advantage of its, of its intellectual connection and assets to entrepreneurs who have left but may want to help um, Africa back because this is one of your major initiatives. Absolutely. The brain drain that started over 400 years ago when the best and the brightest and the fittest were taken out of Africa forcibly and that, that is when the brain drain started. I want to make sure that is very clear. Hmm. And when we talk about African diaspora, we're talking about all people of African descent living outside of Africa. Hmm. Let's be very clear. African-Americans, they are Africans who were forcibly taken out of Africa, plus the contingent brain drain, those who are later immigrants who left Africa running away from famine, from wars, in search of greener pastures. The end result is, as we speak, Africa has a serious deficit of expertise. Right. However, the, the, uh, the good news for Africa is that we have a very young, intelligent, vibrant population that needs opportunities. So when we can marry the age group of young, intelligent Africans with the expertise coming from the diaspora, we can see an Africa that can propel itself to take its rightful place on the world stage like it once was. So yes, the diaspora are an important component of Africa's development. Make no mistake about that. All the African leaders are fully aware of that. All the African leaders are in full support of coming up with programs to make it easier for the diaspora to move back. We want to look at diaspora who can come to Africa, not just focus on a country that you were born, born in, but if you are a person of African descent, Africa should matter to you. Africa should be your problem. You must own Africa's problems understand it and participate in the development of Africa. For when we have a stable Africa, it ultimately, it now also correlates with an African-American who is anchored. It correlates with an Afro-Caribbean who is anchored. It correlates with an Afro-Latino who is anchored. Currently, descendants of the formerly enslaved, they are like a ship uh, without an anchor. The wind blows that way, here they go. Until they are anchored by being accepted by Africa, until they are anchored by participating in the development of Africa. The Jews do it, the Chinese do it, the Indians do it, the Irish do it, African-Americans together with the continental Africans. We must make sure that we work together to participate in the development of Africa because the development and the building of the Africa we want, it is our responsibility first and foremost and ours alone. Others are welcome to come join us. Others are welcome to help us. Others are welcome to engage us as equal partners, but we must own the building of the Africa that we want as a united front of, of the African diaspora. Well, I want to make a deal with you, Ambassador. I want this to be a start of a conversation with you that we have many other times. I think it's a very important conversation, and I'm grateful to you, Ambassador Adikana Chihombori Kwao, former African Union diplomat and founder of the Africa Diaspora Development Initiative. Thanks for your candor, and thank you so much for being with us today.
Thank you for having me and keep up the good work. These are messages that we must continue to put out because the average American is not aware. The average European uh, citizen is not aware of what the various Western governments are doing. The atrocities have been going on for far too long. They must come to an end. And your program is doing a great job in getting these messages out. We must inform and educate our citizens. Thank you, Ambassador. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So what's the bottom line? The smart money's on Africa. That's where the most interesting global action is going to be. Demographically, the West and much of Asia are aging, while Africa has the youngest crowd on the planet. Within a few decades, much of the world's global middle class is going to come from Africa. And Africa's going to become a stickier place for its brilliant innovators to stay, rather than racing off to Europe or the United States. Sure, China and the U.S. will both remain engaged in Africa, but less and less on their terms and more and more on the terms of African nations as they rise and become more powerful in their own right. That's the story of unstoppable Africa, rising not because of what nations outside the continent are doing for it, but what it's doing to chart its own course. And that's the bottom line. back and uh, that was another report uh, on uh, U.S. Africa relations uh, very critical uh, perspective on the uh, White House Africa Summit and uh, what it will not achieve and uh, you're listening to the Pan-African Journal a worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday December the 17th uh, 2022 we're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit, and uh, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program uh, for uh, this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
the music of uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, with the tune entitled uh, Room Full of Mirrors. And right now we want to move to the Republic of South Africa, uh, the African National Congress, that national elective conference is taking place this weekend at NASRAC uh, in the Republic of South Africa. And uh, we're going to go and get some reports uh, on developments inside uh, the African National Congress 55th uh, National Electoral uh, Conference, uh, where they will select uh, leadership uh, to lead uh, the ruling party in South Africa over the next uh, five years. Let's listen in. ANC President Cyril Ramaphosa says that the deliberations and resolutions of the ANC's 55th National Conference must ensure that those who are behind state capture will face the full might of the law. Ramaphosa delivered the political report in Nazareth as the conference kicked off on Friday. The political report did not spare the country's fight against corruption. Kenny Mapanga filed this report. Delegates at the ANC's 51st National Conference are tasked with ensuring that the work of the State Capture Commission is not in vain. Those responsible, whoever they are, wherever they are, they may, that they should face the might of the law, but we must also say, we know, we know that there will be resistance. But this must strengthen our resolve. Ramaphosa was reflecting on the past five years of the ANC, which has been characterized by deep divisions. The ANC president believes that this could be partly attributed to one of the clear instructions from the 54th National Conference to end state capture and tackle corruption. As we anticipated, as we anticipated, the actions we were mandated to take against corruption and state capture have at times caused friction amongst us. Ramaphosa further highlighted the aims and objectives of the ANC to support and advance the cause of women's emancipation, stating that progress has been made. We have made significant advances. It is largely thanks to the ANC's policies that 46% of all National Assembly members are women. For the first time, half of all cabinet ministers at national level are women. Kenny Mapanga, SABC News, Johannesburg. We're joined now by SABC News reporter Ndlantla Khatlani for more of what happened at the conference uh, earlier and what is expected tomorrow. Ndlantla, very good evening to you. As we mentioned earlier on in the introduction, a day of high drama. Just take us uh, from where proceedings are at the moment. I understand that there had to be adjourned and some agenda items postponed to tomorrow. What happened at the end of the day? And we'll work our way through to the beginning. Well, a good, a good, a good evening to you and our viewers at Tepiso at home. Uh, as you rightfully mentioned, there we saw the president of the ANC delivering his political report. 
but it also came with you know quite interesting scenes where we saw former President Jacob Zuma uh, walking in. Uh, as you know, usually in such an event or in such a conference, all former presidents uh, come and sit before uh, the current president speaks. But we saw former President Jacob Zuma there arriving late, and also you know we heard some you know uh, delegates singing the song Wednesday Zuma. But also in terms of what his political report was about, um, he spoke on uh, the state capture uh, report, saying that it was uh, they, as the leadership they were told that they needed to deal with state capture so that they can appeal more you know to the to the voters. As you know that uh, ANC in recent years has started losing you know. Um, Yes. It's in, people have stopped being interested in it, in it, and also, you know, it's seen as a, a corrupt uh, party. The president saying there that, you know, um, among the challenges that they face as uh, the ANC was that, you know, um, as they are dealing with uh, state capture, this has also caused divisions with the party, uh, touching their briefly on the state of the party. The president saying that divisions, you know, are, are located amongst the leadership, and that goes down to, you know, the members saying that the leaders are responsible for dividing and that has an implication in terms of how South Africans you know uh, view uh, the ANC technique. so uh, earlier today you know uh, we saw uh, uh, the conference being delayed at this current moment you know we know that uh, it has been agenda until tomorrow uh, the only report that was tabled by the president uh, was the political report there was supposed to be nomination around this time also uh, the organizational report which probably will take uh, uh, will be um, a table tomorrow. Also, the financial report will also be uh, tabled tomorrow. But quite interestingly, you know, um, a lot of political analysts have spoken to this, saying that, you know, it'd be quite interesting to see if, you know, it will be a smooth conference. Already it's been de delayed. Uh, the president, uh, you know, uh, speaking about uh, divisions within the party, speaking that, Tepiso, um, um, the cause of these divisions rests amongst the shoulders of of uh, uh, leaders and also saying something quite axiomatic, something quite familiar with, you know, um, a lot of uh, uh, speeches that he has made saying that, you know, this conference must ensure that when they leave this place, they uh, remain uh, united or come out of it united, saying that uh, they should ensure that this conference amongst the top agendas is to deal with poli policies that are made to change um, ordinary people's lives. As you mentioned, the president speaking about the divisions, although that was plain to see for many who were watching uh, the conference, it was uh, uh, what could be described as ugly scenes at some point. But what happens tomorrow? Are those divisions likely to play out and escalate? We know that uh, the nomination process for the top six starts tomorrow. Well, it has been said, uh, said that it's, you know, it's a breaking point for uh, the ANC, even the president saying that, you know, um, the, the ANC rather is going through difficult times, admitting that, you know, um, challenges um, 
of uh, the ANC are seen by you know everybody and like I already mentioned earlier that you know um, as he in his speech he spoke about it those things could be seen by ordinary South Africans who are watching uh, those scenes whereby a former president walks in and the current president is disturbed. It speaks to the division of, of the party already now. It has been uh, delayed currently um, as we go forward. It has been adjourned. Uh, we were anticipating as the media that, you know, uh, it will be a late night for us. Uh, but now uh, it was announced that, you know, it has been adjourned. Tomorrow we can expect that nominations will take place. They'll have to squeeze in in terms of those, that, those things that they have left out to ensure that, you know, they um, ensure that in the next five days um, they uh, reach the mark or they, you know, um, conclude on things that they came to do here. But looking at how things are going, it will be quite interesting to see if this will be indeed a five-day conference. Obviously, the issue of um, credentials has been something that has bedeviled not only the provincial conference, uh, conferences, we've seen that with this one as well, and this is why the conference was delayed for many hours. Uh, the question is, how much faith is there in the system against the backdrop of statements made by suspended ANC Secretary General Ace Mahashule before the conference got underway saying that the ANC systems are rigged? Has this imbued a sense of nervousness, a sense of doubt about what's going to play out when the vote for the top six gets underway? Well, the issues of credentials, if you've um, been following, uh, you know, the momentum, the momentum rather to this conference, you could have seen it throughout its uh, provincial conferences where it remained to be amongst the interesting issues where, you know, even a lot of uh, media people anticipating that, you know, a lot of issues, a lot of problems was going to be there. I mean, today only it was delayed because of registration. It's going to be quite interesting to see how this unfolds going forward. Um, I mean, uh, a lot of people were talking about, you know, um, divisions of the ANC playing out in each and every element uh, uh, that's going to come out of this conference. You know, um, I guess it speaks to, like I mentioned earlier, that is this um, a do or die for the ANC? Um, and going forward, how is this, you know, a party, one of the oldest liberation uh, movement in the African continent, how is it going to go forward with regards to it struggling with such formalities, but they look, those formalities are very important in conferences. It will be quite interesting uh, to come out of this conference and see who are going to be at the helm of the party to take it forward. Also looking at the fact that, you know, um, um, in 2024, um, there's going to be uh, national elections, and you know, um, SA, ANC's credibility has, you know, has been questioned by, you know, ordinary South Africans. Uh, the president there, you know, uh, not shying away from the fact that, you know, um, as they were trying to deal with state capture, uh, it came at a cost. You know, uh, it speaks to a whole lot of uh, dynamics that the, 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 the party is, is facing. As it's, it's, it's aware of its challenges. While it's trying to uh, deal with those challenges, um, it's facing 
and other challenges within itself. So it makes it very interesting to know that, you know, uh, will the ANC, you know, come out of this uh, conference united and will the leadership that is going to be elected here, will it appeal to ordinary South Africans? Thank you very much, uh, part of uh, the SABC team that's at Nazareth at the moment. So a long night for the team as we continue rolling coverage uh, on the AC conference. And uh, that was uh, a preliminary report on uh, the first day of activities for the uh, ruling party of South Africa, the African National Congress. They're holding their 55th uh, National Elective Conference, and it's taking place this weekend uh, in uh, the Republic of South Africa. Uh, now we're going to listen to a briefing uh, from the ANC spokesman, uh, Mr. Pule Mape. Uh, he did a media briefing earlier today. Let's listen in. ...of delegates, observers, and guests. Yesterday, the president of the African National Congress, President Cyril Ramaphosa, delivered the political report. We've worked with our content and messaging team to package that and will be sending to yourselves the short messages coming out of the speech, just for your own uh, coming out of the political report, for your own reference and reading whenever you may want to. We did it in this way so that it's easy to pick up the issues uh, for your own uh, articles, features, opinion pieces. So this is the work that is being done by the content and messaging team. So we'll share that across our digital platforms. Uh, we'll also uh, share that even on our own uh, web pages. I know that the digital media team is also working on developing uh, small TikTok videos of the speech that those of you that are in the podcast space can also disseminate and use that. So this is part of the support we spoke about that we are going to be giving to the media, but also allow everyone else, young and old, to be able to interact with our conference regardless of where they could be. So that's what we are going to be doing. So when we concluded, when we concluded the session two of the conference, we had said that when we start today with session three, it will be a closed session. Now we are now in the closed session of conference. I saw some of the media reports uh, suggesting that conference has not yet started. I'm going to appeal that we correct that line because conference has started, conference is in session. Uh, the deputy president is on the podium, he's delivering the organizational report. After the organizational report, they will deal and attend to clarifications and adoption of that report. Of course, I will come back to the adoption of the organizational report and afterwards we'll go to the financial report. All reports that have to be presented uh, under session three, which is a closed session, and under session four, which is a closed session, 
will be presented. The only aspect really uh, that we are making finality on with all the good progress that we've made is uh, credentials. Why are credentials critical? Credentials are meant to assist the organization qualify those who must participate in the deliberations necessary to facilitate resolutions, consensus, and decisions. So we have to qualify those who are part of those sessions. There must be members from branches, there must be accredited guests uh, who bring skill sets that might assist the organization. In most instances, those that are accredited as guests allowed to come into closed sessions of conference do not have speaking rights in those. Because while we don't do it through a ballot, we vote through consensus. So it means that it is only voting delegates that participate on deliberations around the organizational report. A part of that that requires that they are duly qualified. Qualified means duly accredited is the adoption of such reports. Because resolutions of the ANC, reports of the African National Congress, become legal documents. We have seen political parties, we have seen commissions, I mean even the Commission on State Capture, relied on some of the reports that came out of our own meetings. So we can no longer take our reports uh, lightly, not that we did previously. But we have got to now know, pay special attention, understand that these reports take a legal standing as well. I have seen media statements that were circulated uh, being attached as addendums uh, to legal challenges, either to conferences or any other. Most of every time when comrades go to a, a, a court applying for agency, uh, part of the things that they use as uh, uh, the, the merits to argue their case would be even statements that we made. I'm sure if you go to court documents, uh, you will find my name in there, buried uh, in some statements that they were using to motivate them. So that's why credentials are that critical. Now, we have introduced a new membership system. It is for the first time at this 55th National Conference that we are convening a, a national elective conference using this uh, new Agile membership system. It has got a number of security features necessary to avoid, identify and isolate any form of infiltration. 
the new membership system allows us to ensure that the rightful members are the ones that are accredited to participate in conference. For you to participate and vote for leaders in a conference of the ANC, you must be a member of that organization. Not just a member, you must be a member in good standing. The membership of the ANC has got categories. If you are a new member, you have got what is called window period to manage possibilities or instances of rush, rush, ambitions. We place you on window period. So you don't just arrive today and then tomorrow you're already leading your branch. You have to arrive, show that you have been recruited by someone in the branch have signed all of those, be placed on a window period, then qualify. Then you are now a member in good standing. You enjoy the full rights of the members as outlined in Rule 2 of the ANC Constitution. But because the membership of the ANC is annualized, if you have only paid 20 rand of the membership fee, it then means that at the, next, at the next anniversary, you will be given three months probation at which you must renew your membership. Again, another window period, that's three. So actually the first one is probation period. Like at work, man. New in a media house, just begun. You are subjected to probation for three months. Even here in the ANC. Because we are such a self-respecting organization. We have got probations as well. Members subject themselves to probation. The constitution imposes probation on them for a period. Not exceeding three months. Then when your membership lapses... You then go on a window period, again, of a defined period. If within that window period you have not renewed your membership, you cease to be a member. So it is some of those conditions that when you conclude on who is the rightful delegate here in the conference, you have to look at. So the system has got a number of features that can do early detections on such. So it's good for us because it says by the time you sit conference, every one of the near 4,500 delegates who shall have participated in the election of the leadership of the African National Congress the adoption of the organizational report, the financial report, and the adoption of the resolutions, the constitutional amendments that must guide the organization at least for the next five years. Was duly accredited, qualified to be in that meeting, met all the criteria set out by the African National Congress. So, it is that which we have to unfortunately be thorough on. 
time-wise, will we be able to conclude the business of conference? Yes, indeed we will. We will. The good thing about the work we are doing now in this national conference is that unlike provincial conferences, the national conference, before it sits, convinced two critical gatherings. So the NC has got a number of structures. What are these structures of the ANC? The apex structure of the ANC is the national conference. So the next structure that just comes after the national conference is the national executive committee. The National Executive Committee of the ANC is empowered by the Constitution of the African National Congress to take decisions in between conferences. The other critical structure is the National Working Committee. It processes the day-to-day -day running of organization. It effectively deals with the business of the ANC overall and reports to the National Executive Committee. So decisions of the National Working Committee are to be considered by the NEC. And once affirmed, they are implemented. This includes guidelines. The NEC can't amend the Constitution. That falls within the province of the National Congress, of the ANC. The other critical structure is the National General Council. Owing to COVID conditions, we did not convene the General the National General Council of the ANC coming into this national conference. What we did was that through the policy subcommittee of the ANC led by Comrade Jeff Gadebe and the, policy, the political subcommittee of the ANC led by Comrade Natim Tetra, we distributed NGC documents. The essence of these NGC documents was that they were then to guide what will come out of what will become of policy documents going into the National Policy Conference. So the other structure of the ANC is the National Policy Conference. All these structures of the ANC have got defined powers. The NGC has got defined powers. The National Policy Conference has got defined powers specifically to consider and recommend policy discussions to the National Conference. As we see to the National Conference, we have already gone through the Policy Conference. Why is this critical to this conference? It is critical to this conference because you are not going to have exhaustive discussions of all those policy documents because you have now done your recommendations. If those recommendations are consistent and similar with what you took out of the policy conference, it means all you are going to do is affirmation. This is important because it now deals with the time. It now tells you that it means that there is no expectation on our part that larger amount of time will be spent in commissions dealing with uh, this uh, policy discussion documents because they are now refined, presented in a way and form that they must constitute decisions. So yes, we will be able to conclude the business of conference. The reason why 
this conference is called a national elective conference is because part of the critical things that it must do is that it must elect the leadership of the ANC. But already you had a policy forum in the form of the policy conference that dealt with all your policies. Those of you who were here in July sat with us here. I mean, at one stage we had a six-hour press briefing just dealing with policy discussion documents. So critical to this conference is the election of the leadership that must be able to lead the organization for the next five years. So we are doing everything possible within our power, working around the clock, to make sure that the conference is proceeding as planned. So there is nothing that suggests that conference will not proceed as planned. Actually, it's all hands on deck. We had, uh, when we spoke yesterday, we also again spoke about the notion of media open sessions. What I, what I previously referred to as open days. Some of you in the, in the media have come forward to say that the limitations imposed by yourselves not being able to interact uh, with delegates makes you run dry, especially your print and digital media platforms. And that you may want space opened or considered for you to go and interact with delegates even to pick up questions and all of that. It's not a bad suggestion. It's not a bad suggestion. Unfortunately, the program has already been adopted. And the national spokesperson of the ANC has got no power, none whatsoever, to change the program of conference. Everything that we call open with yourselves must, be, must also be open here on the program. Yesterday, when you went in, spent three hours on the ground, that was part of the open session that we had committed to making available to yourselves. So, those open sessions are there, but they are as inserted in the program. We will meet with the media relations team after this briefing to put forward a motivation to the conference steering committee to consider allowing yourselves that space to at least be taken out of the media village and interact or bring delegates this side, interact with delegates within a defined space. We'll put forward that proposal. It's not a decision we can just take by ourselves without having to test it with the relevant bodies that are empowered to run with the live of a conference. So we are hoping that today we'll deal with all reports and we'll also deal with the nomination of officials and possibly the voting of officials later on. Our delegates just have to understand that uh, we may have to work for much longer than we had anticipated. 
so that we can still meet the timelines we have set out to do this conference. Otherwise, it's not just all systems go. The systems are in motion. Everything is running as planned. If members of the media have got uh, clarity-seeking questions that they may want us to deal with, so really this briefing was just about giving you status update of where we are so that uh, you are able to diarize, plan, and all of that. We have made, we have made uh, those in the leadership structures of the ANC available to talk to yourselves. They've been coming in to come and clarify. And we must thank these provincial chairpersons to have dealt with the question of conduct. I mean, I was listening to the chairperson of KwaZulu-Natal, Comrade Swani Soduma, conveying a very responsible message on the conduct of delegates overall. We have called on all our chairs, our regional secretaries, to go out there to their delegates and consolidate one single message that the collapse of this conference will be an indictment on the leadership overall, not just on the National Executive Committee, on all of the nine provinces and the 52 regions, on all of the 4,000, near 4,500 delegates that I expect that are in this conference. We've got a moral and political duty to make sure that this conference succeeds. The message conveyed by our president in his political report on the unity of the African National Congress, on the renewal of our organization, is one that we must all uphold, advance and sustain. Very important. Welcome back. And that was uh, the spokesperson national spokesperson for the uh, African National Congress Party, and uh, that's uh, Pule Mabe, uh, talking about uh, the structures of the ANC and, of course, the ANC's uh, interaction uh, with the media in South Africa and uh, and other international media houses covering the conference uh, this weekend. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Today is uh, Saturday, December 17th, uh, 2022. We are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. This program is hosted by yours truly, Abayomi Azikawe, the editor of uh, the Pan-African Newswire. We're going to hear another uh, report, uh, our final segment uh, for today, also uh, dealing uh, with the ongoing ANC conference. Let's listen in. Now, fully in swing and topping the agenda on day two is the nomination and voting for the top six office bearers. Let's take you now live to the ANC conference at Nazareth. My colleague Bongi Wezwane is standing by. She will be in conversation shortly with Samkele Maseko. But Bongiwe, good afternoon to you, and it's great to see you again. I know it's been a long day so far, and we've got a couple more hours to go for our broadcast there. Give us a sense, uh, just, you know, a helicopter view of what's happening in the complex and the flanks of the ANC conference. I guess technology has changed 
trends these many years that we've been covering these conferences uh, and certainly a lot of innovation at play. Good afternoon to you, Man, and to the viewers. Definitely, we're hearing a lot of talk around, uh, you know, technology. Speaking to NEC member Nomfula Mokonyane earlier on, to, uh, saying that the new system is also a tried, uh, you know, they, they, they're doing a tried and tested approach then to be able to see how best they can use technology when it comes to the issues of registration. At the same time, Iman, um, we're now finding ourselves, you know, where we are even able to speak to some of the delegates and ask them to come out and join us for conversations and, and and you know that's the wonder of technology that you are able to just get a speedy reaction but also Iman technology being a very very huge factor when it comes to some of the issues around registration here the the registration process marred by so many delays the system going offline not being able to sometimes link pictures to the delegates that are then coming also at the same time trying to get those letters that are coming from the delegates who have sent replacements uh, you know for, for them here at the conference that is also another aspect of the downside here where technology is concerned but the ANC is saying that it is taking this in its stride and hopefully things can be done differently in future conferences but of course Iman I'm not alone I have with me our senior political reporter, Samgele Masego, as well as Jomo Sibia, an ANC KZN PC member who is joining us as well from inside the plenary. Thank you so much to you both for your time. Uh, Jomo, I, I, I'm going to put you on the spot with the very first question. Where is Dr. Zolini Mkize? Is he winning as the ANC president? <laughs> That's a very interesting question. Thank you very much, and greetings to the viewers out there in Samgel. Um, Comrade Israeli is in the conference, and he is contesting. He does have his support, and we wish him all the best. Is he I winning? I think that's all that I can say. Um, I think let's go to vote and see who wins. But I think numbers that are there, um, according to what I see, obviously they are saying something. Uh, but I wish him all the best. Uh, I, forgot that I, didn't have notes. I wonder what is this that the numbers are saying in your view? Because when we speak to some of those who are backing uh, the current president, Cyril Ramaphosa, they say they've got the numbers, he's in a jovial mood, he's relaxed, the numbers are speaking for him. What are the numbers saying Obviously, in, your, in your camp? Uh, yes, I'm a PC member of KZN, but I'm here as a branch delegate. Mm. I'm coming mm. from what, uh, two, uh, what three and two. Um, my branch nominated President Ramaphosa as the president, and I'm here to execute that mandate. Sitting in that conference, looking at the numbers and the engagements that we've been having with many provinces and regions, I can safely say President Ramaphosa is coming back as the president of the ANC. The delegates inside there, you can see that the majority of them are in support of uh, President Ramaphosa coming back as the president. Uh, before I come to you, Samgir, I'd like to follow up here. So is this an indication that anything is up for grabs now? Because KZN came out as a province backing Dr. Zulinim Kiz. In KZN, you've got quite a number of uh, branches that you know. They nominated President Ramaphosa. Uh, as mm. well. Mm. Um, you've got quite a number of branches who nominated Comrade Mdumsen, but being here, uh, seated here, a number of delegates, more than 200 delegates, uh, will be voting President Ramaphosa from KZN. And I'd like us to talk about the, the, the Mdumiseni factor in just a moment. Samgele, this mm. is also at the heart of what we've seen, which is divisions, not only in the mother body, but also provincially in and itself, because just as the, the PEC announced in Guazulu Natal, we saw quite a lot 
uh, you know, of them coming out with different things that they were saying. And, and when it comes to the desired outcomes, we were hearing different messages as well. KwaZulu-Natal is a province that is very dynamic, fraught with various perspectives. For instance, you look at who has been running the Dr. Zulini Mkiza campaign in KwaZulu-Natal. You look at the campaign of Mdumiseni Ndule as well, which mm. came out of nowhere pretty much when it comes to the position of Secretary General, particularly coming from the back foot of having lost the provincial conference. You look at how he's been able to amass about 278 branch nominations in that province alone. It's individuals like Jomosbia who were in that perspective supporting Mdumiseni Ndule in the provincial conference who have ultimately still spearheaded the Mtumuseni Ntuli campaign at a national level. And not only the Mtumuseni Ntuli campaign, the likes of the Sisle Zigalala campaign, mm. who sits as number one nominated across the country to be a member of the NEC. You've got the likes of Kwasi Mshengu as well. So it's a very dynamic province that even himself, Thomas Bia, is on the list of those 80 members, mm. of those 200 who have been nominated to form part of those who will be contesting to form part of the NEC. But the most interesting point that Jomosbia needs to speak about is the inter-dynamics in his own province, particularly around Mdumiseni Ntuli, because there are those who are in the top echelons of the leadership of the province who may not have been comfortable with Mdumiseni Ntuli coming back as the provincial secretary, but are seemingly now endorsing Mdumiseni Ntuli by opening up their regions for him to be nominated to form part as the Secretary General of the ANC. That's the point that Jomosbia needs mm. to clarify, particularly on who they are working with within the officials of the ANC in the province and also in the broader Provincial Executive Committee and in the various regions. For instance, if you take Mzalangumalo region, for instance, Mzalangumalo region, their regional secretary, their formally endorsed Dr. Zulinam Kiza for president of the ANC, but the original secretary is part of those whom is saying Mtumuseni Ntule must be the secretary general of the ANC, which is an interesting dynamic mm. in the province. And, and, and Jomo, you know, as you respond to that, also, you know, add the fact that the province had been seen as having deserted Ukomrit Mtumuseni Ntule. No, I think I, um, in answering that question, you'll understand politics is very dynamic and uh, it moves with time. We had an issue when going to the provincial conference. It was a different uh, ball game altogether. It has uh, its own dynamics that are provincial related. Currently, we are at a, a national conference, which is, which is national in its nature, and we're looking different, at di different dynamics. Yes, there are comrades that we are working, working with in all regions, across the board. Dumseni's campaign was across the regions in the entire province, not a single region where we don't have people that we've been working with, where we don't have delegates that we're having. In fact, in the province, there is a dynamic that you've got quite a number of comrades who will support Comrade Zueli, but support Mdumsen as SG, mm -hmm. support President Ramaphosa, but support Mdumsen as the SG. So Mdumsen is finding joy across the branches within the province, but also even the, the, the leaders uh, in the province, the leadership of the province has accepted that Mdumsen is the son of the soil. We need to accept that he's there and let us support him to make sure that we strengthen the ANC. He's got quite capacity, he's qualitatively, and we know that he can make a difference. But again, uh, the work that has been done has given that us an opportunity as well to try and mend even relations. Uh, you know, when we went to the provincial conference, there were issues. But now we're finding each other because politics, we can't be personal about it. That's why some of the provincial leaders and regional leaders are not personal at Mtumseni. He's, no he's not deserted. Yes, there were issues, but comrades, uh, we 
we have find each other, we have had engagements, and Congress has been very genuine. That's why you see the campaign of Ndumseni was nominated in all five provinces uh, in the country, but not KZN. But if you look at numbers that he amassed in KZN again, the 247, and then you'll see that it was a huge number, but we know that it's quite a lot. In KZN, out of the 881 delegates that are here, I can assure you that you will get about 600 of those uh, voting delegates. Then how do you, so how do you mend the, the issue of Sigilem Balula, who's contesting a secretary general, and Mtumsen Ntulu, whom are seem, both seemingly aligned to the man you support, which is the president of the ANC? Mm. Um, we, we, that's why we said earlier on that we are not in support of slates. We want to do away with slate politics. That's why we are supporting President Ramaphosa, and it's President Ramaphosa. We're not supporting President Ramaphosa with a particular package. It's no longer the issue of packages. No one is going to ride on the back of someone. So we're just supporting President Ramaphosa as being President Ramaphosa, and then we've got other views on other positions. That's why it's Comrade Mtumsen, uh, not Comrade Mbalula. We've got nothing against Comrade Sigil Mbalula. We wish him all the best as well, but ours is, is, is Comrade Mtumsen, whom we know very well, his capacity. Even uh, I think you can see that the provinces nationally have demonstrated the trust on him to say that this is the person that we think can be able to unite the ANC and grow the ANC back to its former glory. I suppose, Samgele, that kind of gives us an indication of how tense discussions are as horse trading continues. Mm. Let's then also reflect on this other issue as well. Some of your, 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 your fellow uh, provincial men, if I can even call them that, delegates from KwaZulu-Natal, were seen yesterday uh, singing, refusing for President Cyril Ramaphosa to table his, uh, his, his political report. At the same time, you saw then Sponiso Duma, your chairperson, getting up to try and quell those tensions. What are your views on what some of your fellow ANC members from KwaZulu-Natal did yesterday? Let's be forthright about it. We don't need to be ambiguous about it. It's just hooliganism, it's takari, it's wrong, it's criminal. There is no person in an ANC being a delegate who's supposed to conduct himself like that. A president of the ANC can never be disrupted, no matter how aggrieved we are. There are platforms, this is the conference, this is where we're supposed to exercise all the rights that we have, but not that kind of a behavior. It's a behavior that is unheard of from the ANC, it's a behavior that is wrong, it's a behavior that I'm glad that the provincial leadership, the officials of the province called us after the conference, they addressed us, the chairperson, the secretary, and the deputy chairperson, they were very clear that this behavior is uncalled for and it can never be tolerated, it has to stop. This is embarrassing the entire ANC. It's putting the ANC name into shame. In fact, it has never happened in the history of the ANC to see such behavior in the conference. But I want to say, knowing the co comrades from KZN, we are going to work very hard to unite and find uh, these comrades and make sure that we talk to them, but also we make sure that they understand what uh, the, 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 the difficulty they are putting the ANC in. But we really need to unite as provi the province of KwaZulu-Natal and also understand that we are not a unique province from others. We belong to the unitary ANC. There is one ANC and the behavior is the same, the character is the same, and we need to understand that. But Mr. Svia, are the chickens not? And uh, that was uh, additional reports on uh, the African National Congress 55th National Elective Conference that's taking place this weekend uh, in uh, Nazarak in Houghton Province uh, in the Republic of South Africa. Uh, they will elect uh, the African National Congress leadership for the next uh, five years. 
And that's going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast for today, uh, Saturday, August uh, 17th, uh, 2022. We've been broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And uh, if you'd like to have access to this program, all you need to do uh, is uh, go uh, to our website, and uh, that is at the Pan-African Radio Network. Uh, you can get there by logging on to blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. We'll close out uh, with the classic uh, jazz music of uh, Clifford Brown, uh, Max Roach, uh, quintet. Uh, this is a concert uh, recorded uh, in uh, the state of California in 1954. This is Rabbi Omi Azikawe signing off and have a beautiful week. Presenting the outstanding exponents of the new jazz, led by Max Roach at the drums. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's my pleasure to introduce you to you at this time. George Bledsoe, our bass violinist. Our pianist, Carl Perkins. Teddy Edwards, our tennis saxophonist. And the great Clifford Brown on trumpet. First, all God's children got rhythm.
Thank you. Now it's our pleasure to present Clifford Brown playing for you tenderly.
Teddy Edwards original, Sunset Eyes. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.